0: Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insurtech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insurtech founders and C-suite executives, and we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists, we try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insure tech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business and we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time. Please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com, for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very fortunate today to be joined by Jantana, who's the CEO of Tapali. Hello, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thank you for
0: having me on your show. No, not at all. Thank you so much for being a guest. You're someone that we've wanted to have on for quite some time actually, because uh, um, we see you're quite prominent on social media, Uh, you're quite prominent on um, speaking engagements, so um, uh, and i heard really good things about you so i was very very happy that uh, you accepted to be part of the show so um and we we can't we can't not mention the fact that it's good timing which we didn't plan that is international women's day today um so um without giving it a lot of weight we've kind of centered some of our conversation around topics which might be hyper relevant for today um but before we dive into those issues um Love for you to introduce uh, the Tapolly business uh, and yourself, um, in because you're the best person to do so. So please uh, tell us about Tapolly for those that don't know.
1: Yes, so in brief, Tapolly is a digital insurance provider here in the UK, and outside the UK, we are a technology provider for the insurance industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. And and what was your journey? You're not you're not. Uh, were you an insurance person that's that's uh, that's that's what we <laughs> uh,
1: no actually i i think i bring a lot of diversity into the insurance industry <laughs> based on <laughs> my background and what i did um i used to work for investment banks and i'm a shorted accountant by trade mm-hmm. but um been in insurance now for five years ever since i quit my corporate job to you know like run my own company i've been in insurance ever since and um obviously, you know, like tackling uh, value proposition is all about uh, bringing this new uh, flexible on-demand insurance to the gig economy.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, there's been lots and lots of um, different competing businesses trying to tackle this gig economy and, and, and really kind of Small business, I think. I think you know, and particularly that that kind of small business, whether it be solopreneurs or, or, or small businesses like mine, we're only a five man business as we as we stand. Um, from a practical practical perspective, do you think the insurance industry is really set up to deal with small businesses? Because it's 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 difficult, I think, for, for, for them to be effective at small business. So, do you think do you think it's set up to serve the small
1: business industry? Um, yes. And no, to be honest, obviously you know insurance has been uh, here for as long as we know, um, and small business has been able to access the insurance product even you know like um, today. However, the lifestyle of some of the uh, our customer have changed, um, especially during COVID. It's really kind of take the gig economy to the next level, mm-hmm. and that means that the level of flexibility that our customer need currently are not. Uh, embedded into the existing uh, insurance products. So this is mm. where you know, Taply come in. We're trying to bridge that gap. We know that our um, policy needs to be a little bit more flexible. We know that customers need to get insurance more quickly and painlessly and also <laughs> more cheaply. And that's you know why we exist.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, I think there's, there's so much about simplification of insurance that... Um... I understand that it's challenging because some of the, you know, we've talked to death about simplification and, and, you know, regulation has a part to play in that as well. You know, uh, unless we can simplify the regulation or whether we should simplify the regulation, it makes it very difficult for things like wordings to be be effective. But um, yeah, access to um, is a big thing. do you think the regulation environment is doing enough to kind of help insurers on that journey to kind of serving customers?
1: Um, I think insurance, considering of, you know, like what we do, we build trust and we sell future promise. So it needs to be regulated um, mm-hmm. for the sake of the customer. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, too much regulation will cost money and mm. cost money who going to pick up the bills the end customer so sure. at the end of the day you know like um, the over increasing regulation will only add on to an increased premium to customer mm. uh, but it's a trade-off I guess you know like we need to have that regulation to protect the customer um, at the same time um, we want to make sure that the cost of serving customer um, are uh, at bare minimum. And that's why, you know, like Taply is very relevant to this, uh, um, in these situations where you can't increase costs or you don't, you shouldn't be increasing your premium, but you can always lower your costs. And mm. Taply is all about, you know, bringing that operational efficiency through technology and leaner process. So mm. that we can, Contain and maintain our cost at bare minimum, in order to be able to keep our profit level um, to the level that is um, a feasible for us to offer our insurance products.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 There's. A, yeah. Well, there's. There's some quite famously some uh, very large insurtechs out there that are doing very well from a kind of growth perspective but but profitability seems to be an issue Um, but probably won't open that can of worms right now but um, i wanted to talk to about innovation because that's that's a large part of what we set this uh, podcast up to do um and i wanted to ask you about how because my it's my belief that innovation starts with leadership um and i don't think that's controversial i think innovation um absolutely starts from the top how do you approach this at Tapali from a practical perspective? You know, how do you practically implement innovation?
1: Um, I think innovation, obviously, you know, it has to be built on the company culture and value. It has mm. to be embedded into everything we do. Um, so um, the way we approach it is in kind of three different steps. The first one is the recruitment and retention. We make sure that we recruit diverse. And um, workforce, and we, you know, always uh, um, make sure that everyone feel included, and that everyone feel like they are part of the team. So collaborating mm. is important uh, as our nature. Um, and then, of course, the kind of you know accountability and responsibility piece, where you know we've got the, the right people on uh, uh, to our team, we also need to give them like very specific. Um, we need to empower them. If that makes sense, so that they can then, you know, like be able to do their job uh, more effectively and also um, have the ability to perhaps, you know, like get outside their comfort zone and allow mm. them to, be to benefit from their uh, talents. Mm. The, first, the last part is more like kind of, you know, like control and framework that we have to put in play in order to make sure that everyone knows exactly what they need to do within their uh, defined role and responsibility and of course the measurement you know like it's go with that you'd be able to measure everyone performance so if you have these three then suddenly you've got a successful um, um a workforce um and framework to be able to embrace the um the diversity and the inclusion with, within the company
0: mm-hmm. do you it's difficult though isn't it I, I think in a practical sense how do you how do you guys, you know, try and go about that? Because one of the challenges, you know, we specialize in as a recruitment business, working with startups and scale up businesses, and 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 the growth and the progression, and the speed required, mm. is there's always a trade off between, are you really getting a representative, diverse pool of candidates uh, versus you know finding a good candidate and then do you find a good candidate just hire them and move on? And then you get these things. I, I had a founder that was very genuinely really concerned and and basically built a kind of 90% white male workforce and he said we were just trying to move quickly Um, and it's that classic thing that they'd hired lots of good people they knew but that was their that was their circle that was their 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 world so it was very difficult so in the sort of practical sense how do you how do you guys go about trying to make sure you're getting at least a a really diverse bunch of applicants in?
1: Yes, I, I think from our kind of recruitment perspective, we tend to go with um, people who are interested in what we do. First of all, they have to have certain characteristics and value. We go mm-hmm. with the right person, not necessarily if they have the right skill to start because right. we can't afford to pay for experienced people. So we go for talents. And yep. with any talents, you know, it's all about providing them with the right training. So you have to mm. make sure that you've got people and the trainings um, in place to be able to make most of their talents. Um, and what I do is that I mix um, I mix very senior people at a consultancy level. So we bring in consultant as we need it. And we have our own talent that we cultured and we built our mm-hmm. kind of upskill, our team. So that's kind of worked really well, that mixed up, a mix between the two. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of diversity, I... Obviously, because I have such a diverse background, when I think about diversity, um, it just comes naturally to me. Mm. It, I, You know, like people pick people that they feel comfortable with. And to be honest, I don't know who would make me comfortable or not comfortable because I, you know, like I don't have that bar- barrier like everyone else. I don't mm. have to- a room of like-minded people. I can be in the room with completely different people. And I don't have like very strong bias to a certain nationality or um, ethnic minority, or I don't have that, I, I didn't grow up with it. So therefore mm. when people talk to me, they probably can sense that, that I don't have that barrier. And mm. um, we would always go with the best on CV, um, provided that they pass our, um, cause our recruitment uh, interview process then they
2: get in yeah, yeah yeah
0: i think that's a really important thing i, I particularly I, I talk about this a lot in insurance um you know talent it's very difficult to measure but i think we all very quickly go well this person's talented and they're smart um and i think we can particularly insurance has been guilty of being obsessed with specialization but i you know, and we you know once an underwriter always will be an underwriter you know you get someone and they accidentally come out of university and end up being I don't know a offshore energy underwriter um, and then it's it's almost like they can't move out of that silo and you think well if they're a really good offshore energy underwriter and they're really smart I'm pretty sure they'd be a pretty good. Claims professional, or you know, uh, or, or we could we could train them into another another sector. Um, and I think one of the positives, particularly for me, about the insure tech industry is giving people more of a shot to try those kind of types of things. Because you're in a startup, you can't afford to be that siloed either. People have to wear many many hats. Um, I wanted to take you back to something you said about hiring the right personality types, because you made a really important point when we spoke um, previously. Um, you made this point that really stuck with me, which is about connected to insurance as a social good, which I think we, we both agree on. Um, and how important is it hiring the right personality types when you're providing a social good? And I think you made this brilliant point that we're selling trust. Um, so what does that mean about the sort of the right types of personalities that we have to bring into the business?
1: Yes. I think it's, uh, it's crucially important because it's much easier to build on someone's skills than mm. change their behavior.
2: Mm. And, their mm. Mm. That,
1: and that's why having the right personality who embrace already the culture of being, you know, like um, trustworthy, transparency and customer focus, you got you know, like they got the basics to become extremely good um, insurance or insurance um, broker, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think with any job, I would prefer uh, to choose the right person or personality type over the right skill. Because like I said to you, we are, you know, kind of we're looking for talent rather than experience. Um, yeah. And we want to be able to culture them into our culture. Like any big okay, one of the biggest challenge for big organization is that um, the culture within the big organization is extremely difficult to change. And that's mm. why innovation, you know, it's harder for innovation to create um, mm. when culture is is not catered for um, uh, innovation whereas us you know we don't have the issue with the culture so also bringing in your own talent allow them to be able to kind of you know like, uh, fit in nicely with the culture that's already there whereas mm. if you get someone more experienced they're so used to certain culture it's very difficult to bring them into yours
0: mm. um, yeah mm. yeah and I think big businesses have that challenge of they're they're not either one culture either that they, they tend to be so large particularly like large insurance carriers large insurance brokers that they're or large technology firms that they're they're silos of individual cultures and um you know it's very stereotypically about teams um I've worked with companies where their sales team is in a completely different office to everyone else because the uh, the thinking or at least the kind of the, the the feedback is oh there are different culture different types of people and i think well i thought well that doesn't help does it like that's not what well, that's you know you're not bridging those uh those two different divides you're actually making that problem worse um and then you get these two very different values organizations within the same organization so i think that's a huge challenge um, how do you envisage tackling that as you grow because as you grow it becomes much harder have you thought about that as you as you get bigger how do you kind of keep that culture together
1: yeah obviously i'm um, you know, a big fan of aligning our process and system with our culture mm. um, so um, and that means that you know like um, bringing people together is important collaborations is number one success for any you know kind of uh, successful business so um and we will have you know kind of um there's few things that we do internally, for example, that uh, embrace that. Uh, one is team meeting. We've got team meeting, not just uh, individual um, a team, but we also have a join up meeting for um, all our team to collaborate and meet each other to exchange, you know, any kind of issue that may we may see in the technology space that actually impact business and vice versa. So we mm. have that coordination and then of course party you know like team building exercise is very important that's when people meet face to face now today because we don't you know like get to go to uh, it's not a, a nine to five office um uh, uh, a, uh culture anymore so it's just mm. working remotely now within our team so it's important to have that um and also it's important for people to hear from me directly uh, yeah I
2: think
1: you know, like this tone at top, I need to be able to kind of very clearly articulate what the culture would be like, what is our focus going to be like, and be able to communicate that clearly to my team and break it down into tasks and responsibilities so that everyone knows exactly what they need to do. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is down to also the management to coordinate the whole collaboration and communication piece.
0: Mm, yeah i I completely agree and then it's a new bunch of challenges as well and i think in many respects startups have got an advantage in setting up remote first ideas um you know we're we're i'm going the reverse way i'm sort of started getting an office space now and we've got more of us and and i like that but then we've got people that are remote and you've got that challenge of well, how do you make them feel part of it? Um, you know, there, there's that's a new challenge I'd not thought of in that you've got this one remote worker and now they're not part of the kind of office environment. So how do you make them feel part of it? So um, the answer so far has been really expensive train fares, uh, <laughs> getting them to come to us once a week. Um, I, I wanted to ask you further about um, another brilliant point I think you made, which was, I think this is about, really about uh, the, the, the the clash between morals and motives in insurance, um, and I think we were talking about a lot of products and 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 you know are we selling products that actually have worth to the, to the customers we're selling them to? Um, I think that was kind of where we were going, like you know, how do you view that kind of challenge? And and do you think we're getting it right, industry? wise? Do you think there's still some of that kind of leftover kind of bad behaviors? Are are we selling things that people don't need or things that we know are no good?
1: Um, I think obviously that there's always going to be a slightly conflict when you run a business and you focus on profit. Most Mm. businesses focus on profit and not purpose. Mm. Um, So therefore, you know, like if you look at, um, you know, sales department, classic example, every KRI would be all about how much you can sell it's not mm-hmm. a game. Mm-hmm. The rising store are the one that can sell the most. But we never, perhaps, you know, like we should be thinking about of um, bringing in other metric that also show the quality of your service and the fact that you do the right thing by customers and not, for example, you know, selecting. Um, uh, policy that may be too expensive when you can go for lower at a, you know slightly more um, uh, um, suitable for customer so there's a lot of that you know do do we do what is best for ourselves or for our customer and it's mm. always we should always look to do what is best to our, our customer because that is long term it's more long term to care about your customer like you know any big a good business they always put the customer in the center at of everything we do, and mm. if so, I'm very pro that. <laughs> That's why we got all this regulation to protect customer interest. Um, and um, I think you know, as a kind of CEO of my own company, I am very cautious about um, how I set the uh, our uh, KRI, how we manage mm. the customer, a hey, our team performance as well. But um, in essence, we our value and or our kind of, you know, objective is to add value to our customer. That is our objective. And that, mm-hmm. means that whatever happened, you know, we would rather, you know, like spend more time and cost us a little bit more if it means offering better service. So that yeah. is, you know, how how we um, how we approach this uh, internally within TAPOLI.
0: Mm, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm very much of the same thinking. Um it's difficult though isn't it it's it's tackling that motivation um behavior uh i tried to do something experimental with our bonus culture which was to get people to vote on a, we were going to hold back a section of it and and basically your your colleagues had a kind of like blind input in it and then i was i thought i was just opening up some sort of toxic (laughs) situation i was gonna have to manage and i and i won't i won't lie i i I backed away from it but i think you've got to be open to trying those things and and behavioral drivers uh, any lever you can pull um yeah
1: it's quite easy by the way to um it's easier said than done because obviously you are you know a kind of small company and Mm. our um uh, running cost is always going to be at risk if we cannot raise more money. Yeah. And to raise more money, we have to show attractions and growth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The majority of um, KRI's uh, for investors is all about how much money we make. It's not even mm-hmm. how much profit. You know, it's uh, the profit level is not always important as long as we can show the growth in sales. And mm-hmm. that you know, like alone, I think it's. Um, it's quite dangerous to have that uh, for insurance uh, or tech companies
2: because mm-hmm.
1: we are in a heavily regulated company and we should behave in a certain way. So mm-hmm. we don't want to have um, kind of metric that going to um, steer us into you know like being profit driven as opposed to purpose driven company
0: yeah it's a real balance I I think it comes full circle to how we started this conversation which is that you've got to hire the right people Um, uh, and that's that's been my driver you know I I think I can teach I mean I'm it's it's very easy for me to say I mean recruitment is relatively speaking a simple business and so um, as a result I just need to hire the right people but I I think that there can be more emphasis on that Um, and, and a little bit of that is acknowledging and knowing that Recruiting good people is hard. It's going to take you a long time. And, and and it goes into kind of you proactively trying to constantly connect with good talent, which I don't think enough people do. Um, I wanted to move on to um, something about sort of personality types um, and um, how important you think it is to kind of acknowledge the different personality types within a team. Um, you know, for example how do you make it collaborative uh, because how do you how do you avoid it being loudest voice in the room dictates you know the the, the, the tone or the action that you take
1: yeah I, I think it's extremely hard to be honest with anything you know like when it's much easier to have a room full of people that are like yourself because mm. you can predict what they're going to think or do whereas if you have you know um diverse uh personality type in the room suddenly you have to be able to balance all of those di- um, diversity and um, uh, how you manage someone communication, like an introvert, for, uh, for example, mm. need some time to think, and they would prefer to be asked before they say something, whereas an extrovert would love to bounce that idea of the team, for example. So you kind of have to balance that mix of uh, personality type and it, um, I would say, you know, from my perspective, it doesn't come naturally. I actually have to do a lot of studying, reading up, and practice um, in order for me to kind of get a better understanding of how, you know, every personality type can work together, how we can mm. collaborate. Um, and it's been um, an eye opening is um, to me, you know, like to be able to get the best out of my team and not misunderstand them um, because you, you, you know what you are, but you don't always know other people, personality type, not always. And the misunderstanding could cause a lot of conflict within the teams. Uh, it could cause, you know, like kind of um, a collaboration to fail and things like that. So having um, good understanding and also know how to manage and clear conflicts will help um, a, everyone to uh, work together better.
0: Do you um do you ever use anything like psychometric assessment uh, in in part of your recruitment process or or
1: um not obviously we don't but I have um um I have been in the past taking some of these tests in the past mm. but happily exactly we don't I tend to judge by um I will have one to one uh meeting with the candidates um. I would, based on my experience, judge what type of personality they are doing that, and then mm. practical tests as well to confirm this
2: as well. Mm, mm, mm.
0: And uh, how have you seen that play out in the, the remote environment? Um, because that I think that's where I found the challenge, is that, you know, I've been a manager a long time, If so I've got my team in a room, I can start to spot those, you know, that person's more introverted, I'm going to need to directly, you know, Things like if I'm having a meeting, I'll email those people ahead of time going, is there anything you want to raise? Because then I can raise it um, and I don't have to you know, wait for all the kind of extroverts to sit in there shouting. Um, I think when you've got a remote team, it's harder because you, you know, onboarding people remotely, much slower to kind of, you, you can't rely on that kind of line of sight to see what they're like as a person in the room. So, yeah, in terms of kind of practical measures, have, have you tried to implement anything there from a remote perspective?
1: Um, obviously with the remote, uh, we've got very tight, uh, I'm a task manager. I love mm-hmm. you know, assigning tasks to people and, and mm-hmm. get you know like everyone to uh, do job on a given day. So in many way, my team um, is being monitored uh, by the tasks that they have to do. So that's mm-hmm. one way of doing it from, from my side. The other, uh, of course, um, a way that you know we um we tend to um some the thing with personality type is that some personality type are doing very well on their own you know like Mm -hmm. they like to be in their own space and they uh they can think better when they're on their own but there are other personality type that need to have meeting and be in the room in order for them to generate their ideas or being, you know, as uh, effective in uh, doing their job. So mm. in those instant, then all we have to do is just create that forum for them to have connection with other people that they can talk and, you know, um, get their um, ideas bound up someone. So we mm. that's why we have this uh, meeting throughout the week. And then we've also have, you know, kind of tasks that manage everyone performance at the back of it as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love. Uh, we were talking about our tasks list earlier. I'm obsessed with Monday.com at the moment. I just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like the fact you can tick things off. It yeah. feels like a, it feels like you're making progress. So even if you're having a horrible day, you could just be like, right, that's done. Um, and then when I found out you could assign tasks to people, I was like, well, this is brilliant. Uh, just assigning everything off. But um, no, it's um, no. I think you're right. I, I, it, people don't like. It's interesting. I I think when when we were working all in the office, there was a bit of a resistance to much more structured kind of assessment of work, like, you know, like tasks and being able to remotely take them off. But it's interesting how I think remote workings um, made that so important and crucial because you don't have that. You, you lose so much not being in the same room, you, you know, you lose that sort of nonverbal communication. You lose that kind of that quick, you not meetings, but the, 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 the coffee shop uh, the, yeah, walk and the, and the, you know, the water cooler moments that actually drive a lot of activity in businesses. And I, but that's been replaced and can be managed in uh, the absence of that can be managed with, with structure. Um, and I've just, it's been interesting for me how anecdotally I've sort of spotted that, that that seems to be really really welcomed because otherwise you have this disconnect and a few people when the sort of pandemic started they working remotely were going. I had this conversation where people felt like they almost were working but because they couldn't see anybody and they couldn't they weren't meeting anybody. Um, or weren't traveling or weren't seeing their colleagues that they almost felt like they were in this sort of Truman show where they were like, they didn't even know whether the work they were doing was sort of meaningful. Um, so just having that structure, I, I, I think it's interesting what that does to people. Um, or it might just be me. <laughs> no, I think
1: everyone needs some structure, I
0: think. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I wanted to move the conversation slightly towards... Um, like funding, and, and, and this is the bit I mentioned that I thought would be uh, appropriate on uh, International Women's Day, um, because you and I had a conversation about funding and, and, and gender bias, really. Um, and it, how does gender bias impact the funding experience for, win- for women? Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur, so I just thought if, you're, uh, if this is a conversation you're happy to have, I'd love to have it.
1: Yeah, sure, um, you know, I'm not going to guess, but I'm going to give you a stats. According to uh, British Business Bank, only mm-hmm. 1% of VC money is going towards supporting um, male only, a female only business. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, compared to about 89% that goes towards funding the male only a founding business, founded business. So wow. if you compare, you know, like the number, then um, you can make a, uh, you know, um, a an um, rationalizations that there is some bias there.
2: Yeah, and
1: this is obviously going to be an issue for women who are trying to run their business or or trying to get into that creating uh, their own business Um, because with this kind of, you know, such a imbalance in funding means that a lot fewer women would, would be able to uh, break that um, initial, you know, setting up their business barrier and become successful. So Mm. we ideally want, we want um, to make more way for women to get into that, you know, kind of uh, building their business successfully so that they can then also inspire other women to um follow suits
2: mm-hmm.
1: what does that
0: do psychologically as well when you're you're basically you know it's one thing so if i want to go out for VC funding theoretically i'm going well 90 percent of the people that they fund yeah. are like me if you're a woman trying to set up your business and you're going out for funding knowing that that that's there um what does that sort of I, 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 the way I was thinking that your barrier for entry is so much higher. Um, You have to be so much more sure, so much more kind of confident that 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 your ideas could to to go for it. So it must be it's hugely damaging to innovation.
1: Uh, Yeah certainly and luckily I was you know ignorant is blessed and I was you know like blessed when I first started because I didn't realize that this was such a big issue I thought Mm. that you know like um, although I hear that everyone was you know telling me about this gender bias but I I didn't expect um, this going to be this much of a problem Mm. of course you know like as I face it Um, head on um, I still you know determined to make the best of the opportunity that have been given to me Mm. I've you know like we've been getting a lot of support from you know various network we've got fantastic male allies that supporting us as well so I think you know like um, we are really set up um, we have really built good foundation for good business and we really hope that other people will see that as well Mm. Um, Personally, you know, I'm all about doing the right thing. And even if it's going to take me longer to get there, I'm patient. Mm. <laughs> I'm patient in the world. So um, th- this is, you know, like why I think um, within the VC community, now that we, um, now that each, um, ESG become very important for their uh, metric and KRI, I hope that it would give uh, more opportunity for women to get into it because mm. there are, you know, kind of um, a study out there. Um, the ABC wealth management study uh, found that women or female led business are twice as likely to care about uh, EGS than their colleagues male. And mm. that means that, you know, like if EGS is the future then uh, women are much more, uh, you know, we've got good foundation to build good business in this space.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah i mean there's, there's there's so much going on i mean it's it's um there's plenty of data out there that supports that 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 women-led businesses are more successful over time as well um and certainly more diverse businesses are are uh, are more successful um because I, I always think that now when i see a more established business if, if if it's got a woman leading it when you see how sadly rare that is do you think that says something about that business anyway? That says something about the culture of that business that, um, and this is not about merit and this is not a conversation about that. It, it's about, you know, we, we're saying that they've elected the best person, but clearly there is bias that exists. So I think if we see a large business that's that's, that's led by a woman, I think it's in itself that business is, a, is, is better set up anyway, because clearly there is a acknowledgement there that the bias is, I w- i'm sure it's not absent but it's it's less prevalent so therefore it's already a more forward-thinking business um so it, it has a much wider implication than just filling a number on a sheet or being representative it, it says something about that business um so uh i don't know where i was going with that i, I think i was about to jump on my soapbox so i'll back away i'll back away <laughs>
1: yes, I, I certainly agree that you know like you should recruit um, people by their merit. And mm. we sh- what we should not do is to build more bias into our recruitment and retention process.
2: Mm-hmm. It should
1: be based on, you know, like that, you know, individual performance. Um, but we, may- we have to make sure that our metrics is actually uh, something that could measure women's as well as not just like male uh, centric um, behavior. Yeah, so not just profit, but also the um, the impact bit. Uh, yes. Most women tend to care more about the cost and the purpose than just building that business for you know like for profit. Um
2: mm. so that's
1: why we kind of need to kind of review. Our metrics reveal the question sets so that we have the same question that we ask in exactly the same manner that would be asked men and women, so that we don't build our own kind of, you know, like biases into the way we ask people questions, whether it's at interview stage or at, you know, kind of a, um, meeting stage.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: mean, we had a conversation on it before, um, and um, Sam uh, White, uh, the CEO of Stella, was on here. Um, and there was a conversation about VCs asking different types of questions to female-led businesses to, to male-led businesses, and and essentially, the male-led businesses got, I think, sort of more confirmation questions, um, and 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 female-led found uh, female-led businesses had more kind of like challenging questions so essentially it was like like it was just it was like confirmation bias in 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 the questioning but I think you made a really interesting point to me which you were talking about that um men are statistically more likely or more inclined to overestimate their projections um, you know so should we evaluate female-led or female-founded pitches in in a different way do you think
1: um, you see There is no good answer here. If I say yes, I (laughs) get a lot of complaint. Um, Obviously, I think, you know, like one should be more um, uh, cautious about uh, one's number. Mm. I think Mm. like VC should be more aware of the, either the the cultural differences between male founding business and female founding business. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one, you know, like, and the second part is, um, to uh, your point around, you know, like the question set and making sure that you you raise the question in exactly the same manner so that you don't build your own bias into it. And it's, that is n- not the only thing. And also the perception of the answer as well. So um, if women answer, a classic example that we, you know, you may have heard about is that women uh, if they're too confident, they could come across as arrogant, they could mm-hmm. come across as aggressive.
2: Mm-hmm. But if
1: men are, you know, like behaving in exactly the same manner, he's confident. He's mm-hmm. he's got all the positive traits. Whereas women who are behaving in exactly the same way that you would expect from a you know like good business person, we don't get the same response. So mm-hmm. I think we just need to change our perception of how women should be in workplace. That mm-hmm. we Like to your point, you know, like you, you now don't. You were talking about we should be allowed to be ourselves in workplace. We should be able to be vulnerable, be woman, uh, be caring, but at the same time having uh, the same respect uh, as any male founder. We don't have to behave in such the same way. Otherwise, mm-hmm. what you're going to do is a lot of women, by the time they get to that top position, we're going to be, you know, like behaving like men because we are too afraid to be ourselves in workplace. Mm-hmm. So you want to encourage us to be ourselves because, mm-hmm. you know, like we bringing diversity into this entire, um, you know, like uh, building new business industry. And uh, we want to maintain our own integrity. We want to feel uh, safe. And feel um, that we can um, uh, be accepted
2: mm. for
1: you know like who we are. So that is important, I think, uh, as part of that diversity and inclusion piece. Because mm. when you suppress your best quality, you also suppress all the other good stuff that come with it. So, yeah, yeah.
0: I was thinking that as you were talking because I, so I I, I I'm trained to administer a couple of um, psychometric assessments, and and you know one of those. Uh, yeah it's, it's about behaviors most of them are about behaviors and 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 we talk about you know what is your tendency and it's not saying oh what you can and can't do and they always say it's the equivalent of you know everyone has a preferred writing hand and and most people can write their name with probably write their name with both hands but like I'm right-handed Nobody it's a waste of my time writing with my left hand because it's so inefficient it's the same with behaviors and I was just thinking of that when we were talking is that getting people to act in a way that is not themselves is is not only impractical as you know as you rightly pointed out it's really inefficient because we don't do that with training and and it's just a really old-fashioned way of looking at the world like you know what used to be the thing that you assess someone's training needs and so if a person was really poor in one area you'd concentrate all your training on sort of trying to get them up but the point is they're probably never going to be better than average on that thing whereas they might be poor in one area but really good and naturally in another it's what well, create their job around that make that their role um and take away this bit that they're not very good at and and it does go down to sort of respecting people's anyone any gender uh any kind of thing where you're trying to force someone to fit a role um doesn't work i think it, I, I just think it's it's tiring for that person they're never going to see the best of them um and, and we see this in like little micro um not microaggressions but i think in micro kind of ways in in like culture you know for example i'm not a guy that's particularly bothered about going to play a round of golf i don't really care about going to sporting events i i you know i like try and write terrible plays in my spare time i like going to the theater and i and i always remember this story i was pitching for a piece of business we'd had this great conversation about football these guys were football players these two potential clients and they played football a lot and they were talking about football and then they sort of asked me about what i did and i happened to be uh you know i I was doing some uh, acting at the time and i was in a play and, um, and they turned around to stop the meeting. And they went, well, a- are you going to have time to do this work? And, and even that in itself, I thought was so strange. It was like, well, of course I am. It's my hobby. Uh, you know, your football, we spent half an hour talking about football, which is your hobby. And there's no question about whether you've got time to do your work. So it's just an awareness that people have different things. And 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 respecting, I think respecting as well, people's professionalism. Um, but there's so much to go there. and And one thing that I you raised again which i thought was so important was about networking um and i think that's how we originally connected because we we're talking about the flight series but you know networking is inherently built around like a male dynamic i think you know that would be um what impact does it have to you do, do, are there issues for women networking particularly when you talk about venture funding but even in the insurance industry
1: yeah, if we're talking about pre COVID and now.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true.
1: Pre COVID, where, um, and if we're talking about the culture of men going to a local pub and talk about business, then yes, we certainly, um, I certainly cannot relate to that because, first of all, I don't drink very much and I can't, you know, keep my uh, liquor. So <laughs> I, I want lost for long in that kind of, you know, environment. Um, but uh, I think post COVID is kind of, um now that everyone is working from home, a lot of meetings, a lot of networking is either virtual or even if it's meet uh you know, it would be in a specific event. So it's mm. kind of nearly help um uh, level playing field for women to be mm. in that environment as well and, and get their business done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean I've found that. I think I think the remote working is it's allowed me. I mean I I'm 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 <laughs> I'm I'm strangely anxious for a guy that does a lot of the things I do, and I and I and I prefer. There's a lot of me that prefers like remote meetings. I like, like I feel much more comfortable. And then you know I like you know I like I like the the funny thing is I get my energy from people. I like being around people, but I'm also you know I, I'm very uh, much more comfortable in this kind of a virtual kind of setting. And I think that has helped um, because I. But my worry is that I'm already sort of seeing that trailing off of the willingness to do the video conferences the video networking um and people pushing much more to that kind of face to face um do you worry that that's just going to come back and just be like the pure way and and do you think that's going to negatively impact people's opportunities to sort of effectively network uh, particularly for women
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I think, you know, going forward, a lot of companies probably would adopt the hybrid working, you know, like remotely and office uh, model. And that, mm. that I think it would reduce some of the or hours of people uh, being able to just go to a local pub and spend together. I think that culture will eventually new- become more neutralized. And yep. this is where, you know, women could uh, benefit from having, um a more structured uh, networking event because at the end of the day, women are fantastic in uh, organizing event. If you look Mm -hmm. at, you know, like your family who organizing uh, Christmas, birthday, (laughs) So um, we we are very used to that and we use, you know, to socialize and building network and women should be like the master of relationship um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So it naturally we are very good in connecting with other people. We just Mm -hmm. need, um, you know, like that um, a, a use case of business case to be able to bring us there um, and you know I, I have no problem for example spending hours with my male colleagues and working or with my client i haven't got problem with that um, so certainly it hasn't really stopped me in any way mm. but yeah you're right you know if someone asked me to go and spend hours in the local pub i probably would get bored in half an hour
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Uh, I do wonder how the pubs of, uh, particularly EC three, have fared during this time when we're not we're in this hybrid model. But um, but I, I could talk about this all day with you. And I and I was um, you know thank you so much for coming on and particularly discussing some of those issues because I, I think that I can't speak to that perspective and particularly the funding I think is interesting because I've got a little bit of an insight to recruitment and 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 some of the kind of uh, gender issues led issues that happen there but i think for someone that's gone out and successfully raised money and and you know to speak on these issues um yeah i i I thank you because it's been it's it's been uh, it's been something i've wanted to do for a long time um so thank you so much for your time um and thank you for being a guest but i i always like to end on like you know what's what's coming up for you this year what should we look out for for tapley um, um, yeah is there, is there any thought, exciting developments with the business for 2022
1: uh yeah certainly i mean like this year we hope it's going to be an amazing year and i, I can tell that we are getting you know like uh, there um we're going to be zooming in on our technology this year um like we have done in the past two and mm-hmm. Uh, But in addition to that, we've also got very exciting project overseas. Um, So we are, you know, kind of as we are entering the emerging market, which we are very uh, excited um, about, um, we will be kind of, you know, like kind of focused on some of the um, uh, the emerging technology aspect and as well as the kind of new product development in those regions. Mm
0: amazing amazing look sounds like a packed 2022 well look thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast um i hope we get a chance to meet over the insure tech week um and um I yeah uh, yeah I, lo- <laughs> I look forward to um yeah catch on with you very soon thank you bye, bye. bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host Alex Bond and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance so feel free to reach out to me directly um, either on LinkedIn or via my email of alex at I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.